You are listening to the Gator Slant, a Florida Gators podcast from ChopTalk.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Gator Slant, an all-sports Florida Gators podcast from Chom Talk. Alongside Ryan Haley and Jesse Richardson, I'm Brian Fox. Guys, how's it going tonight? I'm doing great. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, Jesse. Thank you for asking. I hope you guys are having a good week. And we're a day late on this. Yes, we are. Uh, You know, we had a speaking engagement with the Gator Dugout Club, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the program. Uh, But, Jesse, I got to ask you about your weekend, man. You were down in Daytona soaking in the sun, uh, you know, listening to some uh, music, man. Tell me about the festival. Welcome to Rockville this weekend. Yeah, welcome to Rockville. Um, I believe this was the first time it was in Daytona. It was at the Speedway, which was really different, and I did not realize how big that place was until actually stepping inside and how big a a uh, racing speedway is but wow um but other than that i saw metallica twice in one weekend i I don't think a lot of people can say that so that's really awesome just a small humble brag there i guess um but uh yeah overall every band that played was perfect i saw my my personal favorite band i did remember and uh, on the first day and uh yeah it's totally great my voice is gone as you could probably hear and you'll probably hear my voice crack a lot this episode but uh we'll we're gonna power through man yeah, man, it looked like a lot of fun. I watched some of the live streams of some of the bands that I'm a big fan of. Uh, but yeah, man, it looked like a blast. The only complaint that I've really seen from people is that compared to when the festival was in Jacksonville, it's a lot more spread out because there's so much more room there. So to get from stage to stage was you know, quite the hike. Um, but no, that's great. I'm glad you had a good time and I'm glad you got to enjoy it. Uh, they announced their headliners this year or for th- this upcoming year. And uh, real quick, I just want to get your take on what do you think of the headliners for next year? They announced it's going to be Kiss, Corn. Uh, help me out here. Kiss, Corn, and uh, the Foo Fighters, and Guns N' Roses. And Guns N' Roses, correct. <laughs> and um, so, but yeah, so I'm not really much of a Kiss fan myself, but the Foo Fighters are one of my personal favorite bands. They're probably up, up there top top ten for me. So I'm I'm definitely going for that day, if anything. And uh, that that's going to be awesome. But I hope that you're going too. All right. Jesse, I, I only asked you about the headliners because I wanted to set this up. Uh, so sorry. Um, <laughs> I have seen all four of those bands live. Kiss was the very first concert I ever saw. I saw them with my dad in Reno, Nevada, back in 1999. Uh, you guys don't have to tell me how old you were then. It's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all, all four of those bands will put on a great show and it's going to be a great weekend. And it's going to be in May this this year, right? They're going back uh, yes. to the, the spring schedule. So, oh, boom. Yeah. All right, well, guys, let's uh, let's dive into it because as much fun as Jesse had out of the racetrack in Daytona, uh, there was a lot going on in Gainesville and, and involving Gator sports. Um, I think it'd be unjustified to start anywhere but the men's basketball team who finally got that monkey off their backs uh, with a win over Florida State. The team is now 2-0, and uh, forward Colin Castleton uh, is, is kind of making a point that you know he wants to get drafted this year. Uh, he was the SEC player of the week after averaging 16.5 points and 10.5 rebounds. Uh, Ryan, let's start with you, man. What are uh, some of your thoughts about this men's basketball program right now? They surprised me a little bit. I'm going to be fully honest. Um, not even the way they played, but just, well, actually, yes, the way they played, but how kind of cohesive it looked. It almost didn't like, I almost never say this about a game 
early in a season because it's so easy for the small sample size to be skewed by just the relative lack of games. Um, that game changed my perception of Mike White. It looked nothing like the Mike White teams that we've seen over the past few years, even just watching them visually um, and the way they kind of closed out. My thing with Mike White in the past has always been like, it felt like if they, they either got to a great start or the game kind of lingered in a way that it shouldn't have lingered. And for them to put away a team like Florida state that, I mean, again, it's not the Florida state of last season or two seasons ago where they were like an elite eight contender. We have no idea what to expect from this Florida state team yet. Uh, but there's still a good, it's still a good program. It's a program that's had Mike White's number, no matter how good they've been over the past, like over his entire tenure. And he really like how balanced the team was and how just, cohesive everything looked i mean i don't know it it there's a, kind of something in the something in the air something in the water about this florida men's basketball team for the first week and i don't really know what it is i my main worry going into it is that there wasn't one person that could kind of take over a game late on the roster it really felt like and now i don't feel like they really need that because they have four guys that i think can really they can really run the scoring through and Daruji, castleton mckissick and myron jones i mean myron jones is going to shoot himself into or out of every single game this year it doesn't matter. He's going to take at least eight threes. If he makes one or makes eight. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I just, I love the balance. Yeah. Just to be clear while this isn't mess, maybe the Florida state teams that you expect to be maybe top five, top 10, this is still a lengthy team. And it's the kind of team that has given Mike white squads problems over the, you know, the seven year tenure here. Uh, it was nice to see, but like you said, man, I like that, you know, they don't have one guy to give the ball to they can go with whoever the hot hand is and you're just as likely and just as capable of pulling it out. Um, one thing that right. I, I was very encouraged by was, and I don't know how you guys were, but in watching it, I kept waiting. All right. Where's the stretch going to be where this team just looks like they're dead. Where's the team? Where's that stretch? Yeah. You know, they always have a six to 10 minute stretch and it never happened. In fact, quite the opposite happened with that 13 to zero run in the middle of the second half. And uh, that was one of the biggest takeaways for me was, well, maybe this isn't, I saw effort 60 minutes yeah. through 40 they, minutes through, excuse yeah, me. They, they won the second half 43 to 25. Yeah. And, and that, that one of the ball game and, and you just love to see it. And uh, I mean, everybody's going to get excited. Florida's obviously ranked for the first time in, in a little while now. Uh, and this is, I think where Florida needs, this is where Florida has to get better. Uh, in the past, when they've had a big win, whether it was over Baylor or over West Virginia under Mike White, they have struggled that next time out. So I fully expect them to come out and make a point of this game against Milwaukee on Thursday and showcase what they really are. That's going to be more telling to me maybe than what this FSU game was. Uh, now you're the team that everybody's looking up to as the number 24 team in the country in the latest polls. Uh, and Milwaukee's not a bad team. Milwaukee's got a guy who's probably a lottery pick in Patrick Baldwin Jr. Uh, so something to keep an eye out on. It's going to be a fun game. And, man, this could be a fun season. It could be a special season. Jesse, what are your thoughts about the men's basketball team? Uh, I think that after that Sunday matchup, I, I, I definitely have a lot more confidence as well. Um, and, and just Mike White's system. Uh, I, I hate to say the same thing that Ryan did. But um, I will say to uh, hammer on the uh, coaching point, I think that, that uh, Keontae Johnson being on the bench, especially for this game in particular, since you uh, had that had that bad collapse last year, um, 
I think that they really tried to to rally behind that, and uh, I think that that the home crowd and, and the team knew that that was a huge moment uh, for for Keontae and the rest of the team, and not only to beat FSU but kind of do it for him. Um, and I feel like having it, having it on the bench in general does help uh, the, the, the hype around this team. Uh, I think I like their energy. I think that having that young voice that kind of understands what the team is going through is definitely going to help a lot this season uh, in general. So I'm very excited to see uh, his, his role at, in, in, as, as a coach. But uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely have a lot of confidence, especially in Colin Castleton. He played great defensively with 16 rebounds and uh, the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, 19 points. And then, um, and then uh, I believe he, he had, he had a, like one steal as well, or like one assist. But uh, yeah, great game from him. And I'm really excited to see how, how the defense turns out for the rest of the year. Yeah, I agree. Uh, anything that you guys want to add before we move along to the women's hardwood? I don't think we're really comprehending how good a 15-16-6 stat line is from Colin Castleton. And the fact that it looked so casual is impressive. No, absolutely. Especially against that team that, that we talked about always has size. So yeah, Colin Castleton, I mean, you know what? I had concerns coming into the year about whether Colin Castleton could be the guy. Um, I had concerns in the first game against Elon watching him. There was a lot of missed opportunities at the basket, uh, a scary amount. Um, but man, he looked good against Florida state. Uh, he looked good when they needed him the most. And, uh, you know, that's, that's hopefully what you see moving forward. And this, this game should give uh, Castleton, Colin Castleton, a ton of momentum and a ton of confidence moving forward, especially against some of the smaller schools that they'll be playing uh, in non-conference play um, guys. Let's uh, let's move over to the women's basketball team. They've uh, they've been in the news for several reasons. Obviously they've got four games now under their belt. Uh, there was an awesome, there was also a follow-up to, Zach Huber's story, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Jesse, let's talk about the results and what's happening on the court with this team. Yeah, so after a strong start versus uh, the Georgia State Panthers, uh, they kind of hit the brakes here, uh, but it was a pretty tough weekend. It was the preseason WNIT Classic uh, where they had to face Wofford, Towson, and uh, the number at the time, number five, North Carolina State Wolfpack. Um, and they are unfortunately now two and two after, after this weekend. Uh, game one, the uh, weekend did not start off the way they wanted to. They they lost to Towson eighty seven to seventy, but Jordan Merritt did 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 show up for that game. Uh, she did pull off a a, a double double, um, <clears throat> which I believe was her second career uh, second double double of her career, and so yeah, that was great from her. And then moving on from that, uh, the NC State game did not really seem that close from from what I could see from, from the highlights that I watched, um, but Kiki Smith is definitely showing out to be the leader of this team. So far, she has the most points on the team. She has 60 uh, compared to, the, to uh, Jordan Merritt, who has second most, well, I'm sorry, <clears throat> com compared to Lavender Briggs, who has 44. Um, yeah, she definitely seems to be the leader so far, but uh, they were able to redeem themselves on the weekend. They beat Wofford six, 61 to 47. Um, and I mean, so yeah, the record is two and two. I, I would say that is probably not, I'm not going to hit a panic button at all. Uh, I, I don't think that like a 500 record after, after four games is really something to be worried about. I think that with the new interim head coach, Kelly Ray Finley, they're still trying to figure stuff out and who sh should have the ball in, her, in their hands at all times. Um, but so far, I definitely think it's Kiki Smith. And I think they're just looking for some more role players, uh, you know? 
Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, I, one thing is I, I don't know that I've seen enough attacking the rim. Uh, there's been a lot of settling for shots. Um, I know we have, we, we only got to watch a little bit of the, of the games this weekend in the preseason WNIT. Um, but from what I can tell, they're settling for a lot of jumpers. And if the jumpers aren't hitting they're they're pretty much out of luck. Um, Look, I, I'd like to see Lav become more of a focal point uh, to have to average 11 points at this point. Uh, you know, that's that's not her type of game. Uh, she's somebody who is regularly averaged in that upper upper teens and somebody who you would almost expect coming into the year to average in the 20 point range. Um, I think she needs to become more of a focal point and I think they've got to get her the ball more. So uh that's kind of where we're at. The, uh, the Towson game that, that kicked off the, uh, the preseason WNIT uh, weekend, man, they gave up 42 points in that first quarter. I mean, that's, that's a recipe to lose. Uh, they ended up giving up 87. So through the remaining three quarters, they only gave up 30, 35 points. Um, that's not a good way to, to win a basketball game, but they kept fighting back and they, they just couldn't, get much closer once they got within you know 15 or so but um just just an ugly first half they weren't closing in very well um and so that's that's how that happens nc state i mean you expect that you you hope it's going to be a little bit closer than 30 something points uh but but that happens the uh, win over wofford was uh more i believe a defensive struggle because uh, even the florida offense didn't really put up a whole lot um but you know, they got the W, they did what they were supposed to do and something that we expected them to do when the, when the tournament opened on uh, Friday night. So um, yeah, I mean, moving on, I, I mean, this team's got a lot of potential. Uh, there's a lot of star power back there with Kiki and with Lavender Briggs. Um, and I mean, Jordan Merritt, like you said, with her second career, double, double, uh, she's really coming on and, and she's been a little bit of a force down low. So I, uh, Lots of lots of uh, stuff to do, but but they're also navigating a little bit of controversy, aren't they? I, Ryan, I, I do want to get it to you because I know you're you're editing uh, over for the Alligator, and you guys have followed Zach Huber's story the whole way through. And there's a little bit of a follow up to that this weekend, wasn't there? I was muted. <laughs> uh, there was, yeah. Um, the Alligator ran a story uh, this Monday um, uh, about a couple of emails that were acquired from uh, the mother of Corey Staples, who was on the team and uh, knew ours like first year or two um, with the program. And basically the entire gist of the set is when Scott Strickland first spoke about the incident, when the report was first released about six weeks ago, um, Neubauer, like he essentially said that if he had known everything that was going on in that, within the program, he wouldn't have fired Cam Newbauer. He wouldn't have extended Cam Newbauer. He would have extended Cam Newbauer. Um, but, and he also said that he placed some, like he got some complaints the original few years, but he got some kind of, like once he kind of figured out and had someone overseeing the program, the complaints went away. And the main gist of those emails that were given to us basically said that Strickland did get Newbauer's abuse pretty plainly outlined to him. A lot of the complaints that, uh, Corey Staples' mother, BB Staples, had um, were fairly consistent with everything that was in the initial report, uh, which meant that he had a, if he'd read the emails, which he responded to her and said that he re like acknowledged and respected her opinion, 
uh, which is very cut, very cut and paste template, felt very bland. Um, but he responded to her and said that he acknowledged she read the emails and which shows that he knew the abuse that was going on within the program and what was happening. And then uh, for the second thing, uh, they talked about a uh, another associate athletic director they had overseeing the program, um, uh, last name Jacobs. And one of the players talked about a meeting that uh, one of the uh, one of their teammates had with Newbauer and Jacobs, which the player walked out crying, and Newbauer and Jacobs walked out giggling seconds later. So basically, the gist of the stories were meant to show that a lot, like the claims that were made initially early on that if we'd known if we'd known we would have done better and um like hat hat like once we put structure around the problems went away it made them seem emptier yeah absolutely now the alligator did a really good job i i like the graphic that you guys did um with the timeline of the emails that Scott Strickland received between 2018 and 2019 from uh several players mothers um, or excuse me, parents, I, let me say parents. Um, yeah. I mean, what a, what a well done, uh, job by you guys. And, uh, I mean, look, there, there's a lot of questions about the future of Scott Strickland, uh, as far as leading the UF athletic programs, I think prior to any of these allegations, a lot of people would have said pretty glowing things about Scott Strickland, but now there's a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot of dust on that shelf. I think, uh, there, there's a lot that, people question and uh you know where where do you think this goes as far as scott strickland goes ryan that's the thing um it's been as of recording this it's been roughly 36 hours since the report was released just under roughly about 35 um i feel like if there were going to be some kind of repercussions or statement made by scott strickland he would have done so by now um so in terms of what either his game plan moving forward or any repercussions that are going to be had by him. I have no idea. I don't, I, I genuinely think that if radio silence has been the game so far, radio silence is going to continue to be the game. And do you think that he should be fired or, or resign or forced to resign or anything like that? I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a weird position since we're the ones who broke the story. Um, which is why I'm asking you specifically. Sorry, yeah. Jesse. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm saying that from a perspective of like, I like, I, I feel like since I oversaw the story and since we're the ones who ran it, I kind of feel like I should, at least maybe I'm overthinking this, but like for my own sake, I might want to abstain from speculating about Strickland's job um, just to kind of maintain that like degree of separation from myself and the content that we're running. Um, All right, Ryan, but, mute yourself. Jesse cool. should no, I'm just I'm just playing. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> but Jesse, go ahead and actually go ahead and add your thoughts as well. Uh, I'm curious what you think if you have anything to add to that, and and feel free to do all the speculating you'd like since you kind of been on the outside here, but you are covering the team for us here at Chomp Talk. So I, I'm curious what your thoughts are as well. Yeah, um, the plot thickens. Um, I'll tell you what uh, this. I mean. I really didn't think that this that the story would get any deeper uh, than, than it has. And um, and when this story was dropped on Monday, I was really surprised. Uh, 
But this really just adds a lot of suspicion to what's going on behind these doors in, in the front office and, you know, how Scott Strickland is handling certain things and how he goes about contract negotiations. And, you know, I, we're really starting to kind of get delve into his uh, thought process here. And so, you know, if, if, if he really did ha- have all this knowledge um, and like, if he really knew, then really kind of have to question the character of, of, you know, of his judgment and to re-sign a coach that said, we're, we're, we're getting reports of players almost wanting to quit. And if you knew that, then I feel like th- this should somehow be, be acted upon a little bit. It should definitely be looked into. Um, should Scott Strickland be fired? I think that should be, it shouldn't be out of the question. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just say that. No, I, I, and look, I, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, if you had asked me during baseball season last year, you know, when we were all sitting up there, I probably would have told you that Scott Strickland's one of the best things that have happened to the university of Florida's athletic department. Uh, you know, what he's done in creating a, a stable of coaches, uh, and, and this would have included Mullen at that time too. And, We'll talk about Dan Mullen later on, but the facilities, all the different things that they're doing within the athletic department, that's a positive, all that's kind of getting overlooked now. And it should be Now, Don't get me wrong. I, you know, you put people first and you are, you know, your parents are sending their kids to your school thinking that you've got their best interests in mind. And that's proven to be the absolute opposite of what happened here. And there's more than enough proof. And, um, Honestly, that that's quite alarming. So here we are. This team's two and two. Uh, you know, they've got some wins coming up that are some games that should result in wins coming up in the in the near future. Jesse, what are, what do they have coming up this week? Do you have that with you? Uh, so they will be taking on Cranbling State University uh, at home on Friday at six p.m. at the Odome. All right. Well, that should be a win, but you know, you never know. <laughs> this is sports, right? Uh, but anyway, so let's uh, let's move over. We'll we'll stay in the O Dome, and we'll talk about the the women's volleyball team, uh, a team that you know maybe two months ago we were all kind of leaving for dead or almost. Ryan hadn't quite gotten to the panic button yet, but he was getting close. My uh, finger was hovering over it. It was close. Um, they're now eleven and two in SEC play after sweeping uh, two a series from Arkansas. They they won Friday night three to zero. And then they won a, uh, a five-set thriller on they, Saturday. They, Arkansas made them work for it on Saturday. No doubt. Um, Ryan, t- take it away, man. Tell us all about it. Um, I think the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on the Saturday win uh, to me because I feel like that's an angle that hasn't been able to – because I've talked ad nauseum about, like, okay, they're sweeping the teams. They should be sweeping, et cetera, et cetera. Arkansas was the first time in a few weeks that felt like they've really faced adversity. And they really pulled back because they were on the verge of losing that match in the fourth set. Like they were, it was actively staring them in the face. Um, and so for them to, um, for them to kind of crawl back from that and kind of not, not flinch a little bit to use that like football phrase that we go through all the time. Like that was the first time that in at least a little while that, Florida volleyballs really had an opponent that kind of pushed them a little bit and they responded positively and they really came out of, came out of the match in a way they like, didn't like, I don't know. I'm that, that this is my little ramble. There is the fact that they faced adversity for the first time. Uh, that's the first match they've had go to five sets since they lost to Mississippi state, September 24th. And the first match they've won in five sets since the day before that. 
Yeah, so, right. I, I think you're absolutely right. This is the kind of match they needed, I think, before they take on Kentucky and before they get into postseason play. There's not a whole lot of those in the SEC, and I think it's something that's kind of held the program back over the years once they got into postseason. They just run run all over these guys, and then when they got into postseason, they weren't ready for those kind of long-winded matches. And so you like to see it. You like to see them pull through it. Um Man, yeah, what can we talk about Tierra Caesar? Uh, she was kind of a boss out there, about, wasn't she? I've been she? talking about Tierra Caesar all, all year. I mean, granted, like, granted, she deserves to be talked about, and she deserves to be talked about even more after what she did against Arkansas. But, man, if, if, you, have, if you haven't heard about Tierra Caesar, you're not paying attention. She's no, been I, absolutely, absolutely killing it. Yeah, if, uh, for those that don't know, she was named the SEC Player of the Week on Monday. Uh, she averaged five kills per set, three digs per set, uh, and she hit at a 420 clip over the weekend between both matches. Uh, Is that on, good? <laughs> it's pretty darn good. On Tuesday, she was named the ABCA Division One Player of the Week, uh, which means that she was the best player in the entire nation over the weekend. Um, you know, just an incredible job. And, you know, it looks like the team's playing their best. And I know, uh, you know, we talk about they, they, they went to five sets, yeah but they look like they're playing their best volleyball as a team right now. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can see that continue. Uh, we're, we're one weekend away where we're, you know, one and a half, what are we 10 days right now from the Kentucky showdowns? Um, those are going to be a big telltale sign before the sec tournament starts. So, um, anything else yeah. you guys want to add about volleyball before we move on to, um, well ryan <laughs> no i mean no that's not that's that's kind of all i have sitting around on the Florida volleyball team i think uh they got a got another week uh another two weeks to get prepped for kentucky and uh let that loose they got auburn coming up tomorrow actually as we speak which might be today if you're listening to this podcast when it comes out it'll be wednesday and then they have south carolina this weekend and then the weekend after thanksgiving the day after thanksgiving they play kentucky and that closes out their regular season so they've they've got a week they've got nine days yeah, it's going to be a huge match, and uh, hopefully I see both of you guys out there to, to watch and, and maybe support the Gator team. <laughs> Figured I'd try. Yeah, um, good for you. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, Ryan, what else is happening in Gator sports? Uh, do not touch on football just yet, though. <laughs> uh, I wasn't going to. I was going to let you have that one, Brian. Uh, the only other thing that I can think of off the top of my head in Gator sports, considering most of the other seasons are done for the fall, but uh, women's tennis wrapped up uh, their fall schedule, and um, – yeah, uh, Sarah Dahlstrom, who competed for the first time in the fall, uh, won all three of her singles matches, uh, won a doubles match with Ben DSP. Uh, just kind of, uh, I, I don't really know what's been happening and going on with the program or been in touch enough to know why she hasn't been playing before, but for her to just kind of step in and just kind of kick ass and singles is pretty impressive. Um, that's, again, another Florida program that's kind of been in that same, like, really like in that good tier for a long time i wouldn't quite lift them up to great and uh maybe we'll see that this season with some experience that i think it's kind of the best shot they have with mccartney kessler and marley zion kind of staying around and uh, a few of the transfers and freshmen they've had come in um but yeah the florida women's tennis team kind of wrapped up their their fall schedule it's hard to really glean a whole lot from the uh from fall schedules and tennis because they kind of just count matches overall rather than like victories and points for squads and there are a lot of exhibitional style matches that uh i'm sure roland like i'm sure roland thornquist wouldn't have sat sarah dahlstrom if it counted towards the postseason so it's kind of hard to take stuff away from the 
fall tennis matches, but it's got to be comforting for Gators fans to see one of their uh, kind of one of their returning players that was uh, featuring most of their starting lineups kind of just effortlessly slide back in. All right. And just to wrap up uh, everything that's going on in the other sports uh, in softball, this was kind of fun on Sunday uh, at the same time that the basketball team was be blowing out Florida state. Uh, the softball team was actually blowing out Florida state. They ended up winning 17 to four. I believe that's a score over two, uh, two games, uh, but that's uh, pretty impressive. Uh, both softball and baseball are wrapping up fall camp today. Uh, not excuse me, this week, not today. Um, so the diamond sports are coming up guys. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch them over the years and uh, they both should have really good, really competitive teams. And we'll have, we'll be talking a lot more about baseball in a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of that. So uh, well, let, let's talk uh, about some of the big, big news out there, right? Um, Florida football um, put up almost as many points as the Florida basketball team on Sunday uh, with a 70 to 52, that's right, 52 win <laughs> over the Samford Bulldogs out of Birmingham, Alabama. Now, Jesse, before I had told you that, and I wish I hadn't now, would you have known that Samford was in Birmingham, Alabama? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to be totally honest. Yeah, I should have quizzed you on that man i messed that up uh, <laughs> <I see>. um, <laughs> but uh no no you're good so yeah i first off 70 points the offense was clicking emory jones had a uh, phenomenal day a record-setting day um you know i dan mullen named basically said that he was your starter at least moving forward at least for the missouri game uh which of course uh, coming off that performance how could you suggest anything else um but obviously there's still a lot of issues there. It was 42 to 28 at half, <laughs> um, which I don't think anybody saw coming, you know, as bad as things were after the South Carolina game, I don't think anybody on this earth saw what was going to happen in the first half of that Sanford game. Ryan, uh, you were up in the press box. What were some of the thoughts uh, up there on Saturday? Um, I know that whatever bar Todd Grantham was in, he was ordering drinks for everyone. You know, so I, you know, I told uh, Mark McLeod this on the gridiron growl podcast. I told him I've gone to a, a few games this year. I went to Alabama and I have done these all as a fan. I, you know, we didn't get credentialed for those or whatever, but I, I went to Alabama. I went to the Florida Georgia game. I went to South Carolina and then I went to Sanford and about midway through that second quarter at Sanford, I was like, you know what? I might be the problem. <laughs> uh, and I thought, you know, I should leave. And I was like, you know what? No, this is going to be too fun. I'm going to witness history if they, <laughs> if they lose this game today somehow. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, being that I'm not a huge fan of Dan Mullen as the head coach, I, I was kind of like, yeah, you know, you lose, had, you lose. I want you to listen to this list very closely, Brian. Um, I had friends and I want you to keep in mind the state of each of these programs in 2020. Um, I had, I have friends in different J schools around the country. Um, from Indiana, South Carolina, and Florida State, who were making fun of me. <laughs> what a time listen, to be alive, listen huh? to those three teams and tell me that those three teams should be making fun of anybody in 2020. And the internet's getting humor out of Dan Mullen. It's 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 a it's a joke. I had I had a friend from Northwestern who commented on my tweets. <laughs> Northwestern, yeah. I, it's they're, they're the Vanderbilt of the Big Ten. Yeah, there you go, hundred percent. It's it's 
flooring. I mean, it's it's really bizarre. I, I took this last week. Like, it's really bizarre. Like, you can pinpoint, and I don't know if this is exactly what happened or not. The program has done a complete 180 since the second they clinched the SEC East a year ago. Oh, absolutely. They're five and eight since then. Dan Mullen was 19 and six when he left Nayland Stadium a year ago with the SEC East title in his hand. He's five and eight since then. Well, five and know, eight. Even this year, Ryan, you know what? It's just the, 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 the swan dive that this team has done has been impressive. Even this year, they were three and one coming out of Nealon State. Well, I mean, it was here, but whatever. But playing against Tennessee, they, they beat Tennessee, beat them by, you know, whatever, 24 points or whatever it was. And now here we are. This team's five and five. They got routed, waxed by South Carolina. Here we are, man. Sanford's hanging around. <laughs> uh, Sanford's not hanging around. Sanford's winning. Well, yeah, they, they won uh, an entire first half against this team. And, man, when they landed that onside kick, I said, holy crap, they're going to win this game. <laughs> um, yeah, I – yeah, as someone who – yeah, it was – the first half felt like a comedy. Yeah. I mean, also, shout out – there's one person I do want to shout out. Like as much as much as as big a fan as I am of a lot of the players on Florida football and how talented I think quite a few of them are, best player on the field, full stop, is Montrell Washington, the Sanford receiver. Oh, and it's he not even close. Yeah. He's yeah, so good. Like watching watch some of the catches he made. That was the joke I made on that one diving touchdown catch. Which, by the way, if he, even though he caught it, even if he hadn't caught it, it was pi in the end zone. Right. But like. Now, I joked. I was like, that was the best catch I've that Montreal Washington catch is the best catch I've seen since his last catch. Because <laughs> his last one was also a diving one to get into the red zone. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, you even, know, even the quarterback had a hell of a day. Yeah. Well, their quarterback, I thought, looked every bit as good as any quarterback that we have on the roster. And, and I say that I know Emory had a great game, and I'm not trying to diminish what he did, but their quarterback looked really damn good. So I'm going to pull up uh, some stats on Florida's defense that I wrote about in my follow. Um, Because I said, well, the the angle of my follow-up story uh, this week was that it was kind of disappointing. Emory Jones really kind of rose from the ashes this week. Because even, I I know that it's Stanford, and Stanford's defense is terrible. He's played terrible defenses so far. He was near perfect Saturday. If he wasn't perfect, he was near it. And if we're going to praise guys like Bryce Young for throwing five touchdowns in the first half against New Mexico State, I'm going to praise Emory Jones for throwing seven touchdowns in a game against Stanford. Because you can, I mean, again, you can, like, there are people that are like, oh, like, he only put up those numbers because Florida had to keep him in in the second half. So what? He's not playing defense. Yeah. It's, it's not his fault. He's trotting out in the fourth quarter with a one-possession lead. Like, it's, he, if he put up 70 points, he should have been home with his feet up by halftime. Exactly. But, <laughs> so Florida's defense over the past few weeks. Um, so Samford this year has 52 points is tied for the most points they've scored in a game. They have played Western Carolina, Mercer, Wofford, and VMI, and all four of those teams held Sanford under 52 points. Florida's last four weeks, they've allowed 43.75 points and a hair under 450 yards a game against an FCS opponent, and schools ranked 71st, 11th, and 100th in the country in scoring offense. Those last four games, again, they've allowed 912 rushing yards and nine touchdowns. And the three power five opponents they've played are ranked 114th, 26th, and 99th in rushing offense. And the last four quarterbacks they've played, 
who keep in mind, these quarterbacks, a backup, a backup, a third string FCS transfer and an FCS quarterback have thrown 869 yards, nine touchdowns, three picks and average 7.3 yards in attempt. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> this isn't like this isn't like they're playing Bryce Young and CJ Stroud and Kenny Pickett every week. Like they're playing guys that <laughs> like no no disrespect because if you make if you're playing in college, you're probably a hell of a quarterback. There's no NFL team that's looking at Stetson Bennett and like like putting like rubbing their hands together. Right. There's no NFL team that's doing that with like Miles Brennan, not Miles Brennan, because it wasn't Miles Brennan, it was Max Johnson who's genuinely looked bad in like every other LSU game he's played in this year. Um, Jordan Davis literally had never played an SEC. He'd never started an SEC game before, and he just trotted out and threw two touchdowns. Um, and then Liam Welch, like this is the biggest game of his career. It's like his first FBS game of the season, and he just goes out and throws for 400 yards. That's just, no, That was like a season high for him. It was funny because uh, – so I met a couple of friends for breakfast uh, before the game on, on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting at um, a local eatery. We'll mention their name if they offer us a, a sponsorship. No, no free ads, Brian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so we're sitting at a local place and a buddy of mine, I'm like, hey, how's it going? He goes, you know, I'm trying to figure out if there's a way that we could lose to Samford today. And, uh, and I said, well, here's what I'll tell you. Here's about all I know about them. They have one of the best offenses in the FCS, but they also have one of the worst defense in the FCS. One of the coolest things was getting a text about midway through the second quarter that said, holy crap, your scouting report was exactly right. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it is what it is. I mean, that's, I mean, I could look at basic stats and tell you something, but, uh, but mm-hmm. man, it, it was just, that was, uh, I, felt, I felt very vindicated in the first quarter. Cause I had a conversation with a roommate of mine that shall not be named Declan Walsh um, who, <laughs> who writes for rivals. And I told him, I was like, so this is five days after Grantham's fire and Christian Robinson's never called defensive plays before. And he's very young. Um, and this is a Samford team that scored 40 or more points in five of their first nine games. And they'd only scored less than 30 once. It's like, this is a really good Samford offense. And he's in Declan. I, and I, I've never, I haven't lived, let him live this down since it happened. He was like, if they score a third touchdown, I'll jump from the press deck. And by the end of the first, at the end of the first quarter, I wheeled my chair at him and just stared. <laughs> and um yeah ready yeah. buddy go go jump <laughs> yeah and it was i i felt very vindicated that i was like this is not like my biggest like watching that i just felt like it was like it felt like a game where like they could have very easily fallen asleep at the wheel by just name scouting i mean like oh it's samford and it's like okay like the strategy a lot of those times with big upsets like that is like it's not like solid FCS teams that really kind of pull those surprise games. It's FCS teams are really, really good at one thing. Right. And Sanford is really, really good at offense. Um, and it's partially because Liam Welsh and Montreal Washington are really, really good. Yeah, no doubt. Um, man, you, okay, so I've got to ask, what was the vibe amongst the, the people in the post game when it comes to Dan Mullen? Uh, what do you mean by that? All right, here's the here's a perfect example. Mid, you know, Nick Delatory does his halftime Q and A. He does. He did not do it this weekend. No, but he did <laughs> answer a question that was asked to him. Does it look like the players have given up on Dan Mullen? He said, "Yes, it does look like that." And it's the first time he's acknowledged that. That Nick and I've seen other you know writers that cover the team make the similar suggestions, and it was the first time I've seen that all year, despite what's happened in other games. A, is that the vibe that you get as well? 
and B is, was there anything different about, you know, what it was like? We'll talk about what the atmosphere was like in the press box as all this is going on. Um, I don't really know if I can justifiably answer that question. Um, cause a lot of it would just be me kind of speculating because Dan kind of walked in and did his media before many of the players were in there. The only real interaction I saw between Mullen and any players post game, um, beyond just answering questions from the media was uh, he asked at one point, he was like, did we allow a sack today? And Emory Jones, like across the room without looking up, went no, um, which was funny. Uh, but in terms of like questions, the only real thing that stuck out to me that got a little traction after the game was someone was like, what do you think of the video of them celebrating the locker room? Dan Mullen was like, I don't care who we beat. We're going to celebrate a win. And I think that was the one thing that kind of rubbed Florida, like Florida Twitter the wrong way after the game, which Initially, I had the same reaction as most people. I thought I was like, it was what? stupid. I, I no. will say, you know what? An- yeah, initially, ahead. I did. I thought, right, no, no, hold on. To be clear, I thought the <laughs> outrage was stupid. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, initially, I thought I was like, what, like, why are they celebrating that? And like, kind of the more I thought of it, the more I sat in it. I was like, these guys, like, regardless of what's actually going on in that locker room, they haven't had a win to celebrate in a month. And no matter what you're doing, no matter how many teams you beat, you only play 12 times a year. And if you're not one of the best teams in the country, you're only going to win like seven or eight of those. I'm not going to be nitpicky about what those guys are celebrating. Cause I like those guys put in a, like, no matter how good or bad the program is, those guys put in a hell of a lot of hours. Like I and said, I, I'm not, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to gatekeep when they're allowed to celebrate that. Right. And I went to the game as a fan and I can tell mm-hmm. you, even in the fourth quarter when Florida, you know, had finally gotten a lead when Florida scored a touchdown, the guy in front of me, turned around, wanted to high five me, which is fine by me. Okay, cool. You know, COVID, whatever. It's cool. Whatever. No big deal. Um, <laughs> um, but you know, that's the kind of thing that, okay, if we're celebrating it, why the hell shouldn't they? Yeah, I've got 100%. no problem. There's 12 games. Well, let's enjoy this. <laughs> I mean, at the, at the end of the day, for as seriously as everyone takes this, as much as we talk about this team on the podcast every single week, it's a sport. Sports are meant to be fun. They're an yeah, escape. Absolutely. Uh, Jesse, I want to switch gears. I want to talk to you just for a second. You were out at Rockville. You were in Daytona. Were you keeping track of this game? Were you kind of dumbfounded looking at the score or, or did you just completely ignore it? Like I wish you had. (laughs) So uh, the plan was to ignore it, uh, I guess, but not for the reason that, you know, it's, it's used, it's usually like, like a throwaway game, but um, I couldn't help but just see my Twitter be blowing up because good old Ryan Haley is uh, tweeting out so many tweets. Um, Do what I can. And and he did it perfectly because I'll tell you what, with every tweet that kept happening, my jaw kept kept dropping lower and lower and lower and lower because I was like, oh, Sanford just scored. It's like five minutes into the game. Why is this happening? And then, and then, you know, just like, as it, it keeps on going, I'm like, okay, I have to watch this game. And I'm actually sitting on the beach. Uh, I was not even at Rockville yet. <laughs> um, and so I was, and then I was like, I got to get service. I got I to get Wi-Fi. I got to see how this game is going. And, you know, by the first half, I was like, wow, um, the Gators are going to lose. Uh, I'm sorry. How many would it be? It would have been like four in a row. And one of them was going to be to Sanford. But uh, luckily, the second half came around, um, and I, I, I actually came came home to my to my dad, and he was just like face covered in his in his palms because he just could not. He was completely distraught. He could not believe what was happening. Um, but he was very happy at the end of the game. Well, I shouldn't say happy. He was very confused 
uh, because I think he's also on the on the uh, train of uh, this team has kind of given up on Dan Mullen, and I think that, that that's exactly what this game means um, to me personally. Yeah, I'm not going to speculate on whether the team has, has given up on Dan Mullen, but man, a large portion of this fan base has, I would agree. I, I'm, yes. you know, it, it started so, out a few weeks back, I think, as just, you know, there was a, a vocal minority. I was like, oh, Dan Mullen's the problem. And I admit I was part of that. Um, and it's gotten louder and louder and louder. And it seemed like Sanford and, and just judging on the comments that I've gotten on some of my tweets uh, from the game and, and since the game, that that's now become a majority. Uh, Ryan, go ahead, man. I think it's been a majority since LSU. I think that was whether majority or not. I think that was kind of the day that everything turned. I think I definitely that was, think a lot more people started jumping on, but this is the first time I felt that it was, you know, if you ask five out of 10 people and five out of 10 people that are Gator fans, I think that this is the first time that I believe that six of them would have said, yeah, you got to can this guy. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you've gotten a different vibe with, with your guys' comment section and whatnot. But uh, this is, this is, this is to me what I feel like, wow, this is the first time that the whole, and I don't think it's just six out of 10. It seems to be a solid eight, (laughs) eight out of 10 people want him gone. Uh, And now obviously the people that are more likely to comment are the ones that are negative. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Ryan, go ahead. I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're totally fine. Yeah. I think that was the first game that, cause I think that was the game that it's almost like when, like I use this analogy a lot. So everyone who hears me talk a lot, is probably going to roll their eyes when I say this, it's almost like when you're driving and you notice a little like stain on your windshield and all of a sudden you can't see the road anymore. You're just staring at the windshield. And all your like your vision just completely refocuses and you go from nearsighted to farsighted. And it's like all of these issues that had been there about Dan Mullen, but everyone had kind of been ignoring because he had a winning record. And all of a sudden everyone looked up and I'm like, holy crap, Florida's one and three in the SEC. And all of a sudden, all those issues like keeping bad teams in the game in the first half and losing to unranked teams they shouldn't lose to. All of a sudden, all those issues, everyone was like, wait a minute, holy crap, we're doing this a lot now. And that was kind of the day that I think ever the like the paper on the litmus test changed that day. And once it happened, Dan had kind of a limited window to repair that relationship. And I think he'd made it worse. Um, uh, And so that's, that's my thing too, is like, I don't like with the, like the relationship with the fans and what the players look like in terms of their like effort and, um, like comments on like have they given up on Dan Mullen um and what the fan base thinks of him and the like pretty paltry recruiting class coming in and the fact that they have they just fired two assistant coaches and they have four more whose contracts are ending this year like what's the stand with Dan Mullen right now like what like what what positives are you looking towards this is the thing that I'm kind of questioning is like, and Jesse, you're welcome to hop in or Brian, you're welcome to hop in. If you have a better idea of what I'm trying to say, but can't is like, if Florida, if the athletic department's keeping Mullen around, what are they waiting for? Is the thing It's like, what, what's their light at the end of the tunnel with like, okay, we just got to get to this point with Dan and things will start getting better. 
because I think the issue, the team has gotten worse and worse as more of the players that as more like Mullen's recruiting classes become more and more prevalent. Right. And we've seen reports there's no evidence from, it's going to change. I believe Saturday down South. Um, I believe that's Neil Blackman. I uh, had a report earlier this week that Florida's in a wait and see approach to see what happens over these next few games. And I think, I I think he if he loses it, one of them, he's out. See, my thought is if you have that thought right there, if you have to think like that, he's out. <laughs> I agree. I agree with you. 100%. I don't say, yeah, that's, I think that, I shouldn't think, get to a point where, oh, if he loses this one, he's out. No, that's not your if head the thought. Coach. It's almost like I, and I tell my friends this about relationships a lot. Uh, so I'll put it the same way. Um, and like phrase it the same way I have in a relationship. If you're dating a guy or a girl, whoever you are listening to this podcast, and the thought enters your mind, maybe I don't want to be in a relationship with them, end it. I don't care if you convince yourself out of the question. If the thought enters your mind, it's probably bad. Jesse, we are going to have a totally different uh, population of the of the fan base listening to our podcast moving forward. Uh, we are going to have fun at Ryan's expense with this, okay? Uh, but no, Ryan, I agree completely with you, and I, I think that if you have to look at the next two games to decide if Dan Mullins your coach, then you already have your answer. And, uh, you know, so, hey, guys, that's going to lead me into these. I, I want to ask you these, and Jesse, I'm going to start with you. And let's just do just a yes, no answer to this one. The next one we'll, we'll elaborate a little bit. So this is the word should. Should Dan Mullen be fired? And whether it's immediately or if it's after the season, uh, but should he be fired? Should he not be on the sideline for next year? I am going to say no, uh, especially after these last couple of weeks. It's, it's just seemed like he, he's trucked out, and if that's the case, then – I don't want any part of it. And I don't think the team so, does. Just to be clear, you're saying no, as in, no, he shouldn't be on the sideline next year. Yes. He should be fired. Correct. He should be okay. fired. Should not okay. be you, you got me for a second. I was like, wait a second. That's not what ah. I was expecting. Uh, uh, Ryan should, <laughs> should Dan Mullen be fired? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what, again, I don't know what you're waiting for. If you're Florida. I mean, it's not like he's got a great recruiting class waiting in the wings. that's going to reform this program. Or he has a history of great hires that are going to like show promise that he's going to make the right call at defensive coordinator. And someone released an article today. Uh, I forget who it was. So forgive me for not being able to cite their research, but um, it might've been Saturday down South, but I may be wrong. Uh, that was like, look, like what name a program that like has sucked and just gotten rid of coordinators and then stopped sucking. Yeah. Like it doesn't happen. No. And with the way that Dan Mullen's recruiting and this, this is where you get me. The way that Mullen's recruiting, that if he goes through this next year and Florida finishes ninth or 10th in the SEC and recruiting again, this program is going to be set back five years minimum. Ten. Yeah, a minimum. Yeah, that's – I mean, who's going to want to come in and coach a team that's got these kind of recruits, these kind of players? I mean, you're going to have to hit the portal hard every year, and I'm not 100% sure if you can win on a portal team. Um, so, all right. Guys, that leads me into the next question. We'll start with Ryan. Ryan, will Dan Mullen be fired this offseason? I think yes. And you know what, I'm, what shot that I am calling? You know the, the angle I'm going to take there? I think he gets fired after they lose to FSU to end their regular season. Jesse. Yeah, I, I, I pretty much have the same answer as Ryan. I, I think that it will happen, and it's going to be because they, they're probably going to lose these next two games, honestly. Both of them. All right. Yeah. I, be I, because if they're not bowl eligible, that's, might, yeah, that's something. I might, I am, I'm torn on the Missouri game um, because 
I mean, I would. So, Missouri, so Missouri sucks. I get no, it. No, Missouri does. Missouri, Missouri does suck. Missouri just kind of beat South Carolina soundly, and yeah. Florida's zero and three in SEC road trips this year. No, like, no that's doubt. a really bad convolution of trends. I'm gonna say that I think he's going to get fired, but I think it's going to be because of people like us. Um, and and by us, I mean podcasters, people with audiences, and I, I don't necessarily mean us in that exact regard. But um, but I think there's been a lot of heat on Dan Mullen. If you look up Dan Mullen's name on a Google search, it's here's the top ten list of people that could replace Dan Mullen at Florida. Here's why Dan Mullen needs to be fired. I know we had an article by Mark McLeod posted about why Dan Mullen has to be fired and has to be fired right away. Um, it's what everybody's talking about. And it drives clicks. We've gotten more clicks over the last, on that one article than we've gotten on almost anything else in this last month. Uh, I know you guys at the alligator are doing a little bit better on that, but whatever. Um, but this is what drives it. And this is what the UAA is reading. And this is what the boosters are reading. And the boosters are the ones with the power. And I think it's just going to become too much to where they have to, even if they don't necessarily want to, I think they're going to have to get rid of Dan Mullen and uh, try to salvage what they have from this roster. And, uh, you know, to me, and I do want to bring this up just very briefly, the most fireable offense, uh, the most fireable thing that Dan Mullen has done all year is that Damian Pierce has only gotten seven or eight carries a game. Oh, uh, my God. Okay. Pro football um, focus is number one ranked running back in the nation. Damian yet Pierce. he doesn't have more than eight carries in a game. Damian Pierce is going to be a starting NFL running back in two years. And we like in people like a couple people said this about LaMichael P. Ryan after the Orange Bowl. And it was an overreaction. It's not with Damian Pierce. Damian Pierce is one of the best football players I've ever watched in person. Yeah. Like that was if, you, if you've ever had a football coach. And I know I've said this tons of times on Twitter and everything. If you've ever had a football coach tell you to never stop moving your legs in any situation you're in, just watch Damian Pierce's film because the dude's a freak of nature athletically. He will be in a pile of four or five defensive linemen and his feet are still chugging. Even if he's not moving, he is pushing. And it's so like, he's so like, and every against South Carolina and Sanford, it was like a joke. Like he didn't get his first carry until like the second or third quarter and then broke off a 25 yard run immediately. The first touch. And it was was comedy. I, I'm disgusted by the lack of use for Damian Pierce. It's it's unfair. If he to him if he'd stay, if he'd stayed at Alabama, he'd be a top two round pick. Hundred percent. He might even be a Heisman Trophy candidate the way that he plays. God, um, so good, especially in a year like this. This could have been it, but whatever. All right, so guys, we all Is agree. Like, mm, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm annoyed. Yeah, I know, I know, and I had to bring it up because of that. Uh, <laughs> Guys, we all agree that Dan Mullen should get fired and that he will get fired. So I want to ask you guys each, give me two names that you uh, think could replace or would replace or that you would like to see replace Dan Mullen at Florida. Um, Jesse, let's start with you. So I really only have one. That Uh, works. But, and it's going to stay within the alumni uh, of of Florida. Uh, Why not Charlie, Charlie Strong? Um, I know it's not the, the, the brightest name out there, but I mean, he does have experience at Florida. I think that maybe he could help a little bit with recruiting. I think he has a head coaching experience. Um, and who knows, maybe it, it, it could work out. I feel like Ryan does not agree with my take there. Boy, he had <laughs> I mean, a look on his face. I mean, I, again, Charlie Strong has had a pretty mercurial history, um, in, coaching purposes as someone who knows a lot of people in the tampa area who watched him at usf 
um there are very bad takes about his um just at general performance at South Florida and what he kind of did to that program. Um, but I don't know, man, this is, I am in terms of like rising coaching candidates coming up through the ranks. I'm not the right person to fully ask all the time. This is not my, not my strong suit when it comes to college football. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I feel like, this is just based on my personal opinion of him and based on what he's done with both Florida and different programs. Um, and this is kind of a, a name that I'm surprised I haven't heard more a little bit, but uh, I'm also not because he was so recently involved. If you're Florida, how much do you throw money at Brian Johnson and hope he comes back? I actually mentioned that name on the, uh, the football podcast on the gridiron growl podcast. Cause he's like the last three weeks with Jalen hurts. You can see it, man. Yep. I mean, I know they've changed the game plan a little around for him, but Brian Johnson, everything he's touched has turned to gold. And I know that he wasn't the primary play caller with Mullen, but I don't think it's a coincidence that he takes off and Florida's offensive play gets a little bit sloppier. Um, and I, I, I think Brian Johnson's the superstar, man. I think he's really one of those guys that's going to be around football for a very long time. And he's going to be, I, I think Florida wants to keep that offensive mind. Um, I think the Muschamp and McElwain years kind of soured the fan base on defensive minded coaches. But I, I mean, if that's, that's the first name that came to my mind a second ago, I mean, excluding the ones that I know you're going to say, Brian, right. Um, just cause I know you've <laughs> talked about him. But uh, yeah, I, I think that I'd, I'd at least have a long phone call with Brian Johnson and see if you could lure him back to college. Yeah, I think it's great that you bring up Brian Johnson because I literally did bring him up the other night. Um, and I, I, didn't I, listen. I, I didn't listen to that I, I for mean, the record. Or, and, and I mean it when I say this, I'm not just saying it as an Eagles fan, but I'm saying it as somebody who, who has watched the game and has watched Brian Johnson specifically. I, he's an up and comer. And, and eventually when he gets a head coaching position, whether it's in the NFL or in college football, he's going to do a hell of a job. And I have not a single doubt about that. Um, look, the, the names I, I want to bring up are the same names that you've heard all over social media. Uh, Mario Cristobal out of um, Oregon. Uh, you know, there's a lot of questions. Why would he leave that situation in Oregon? You know, Oregon gives him a, a straight shot to the uh, college football playoff. Um the guy's from Florida. He grew up in Miami. He recruits really well. Uh, he would be almost the perfect fit. The problem is the Miami job is probably going to come available too. And there's no doubt that the former Miami player would rather coach Miami than, than Florida. Um, but that brings me to my second candidate. And before I bring up the second candidate, because uh, you probably already know where I'm going with this. Um, I do want to throw this out there. What do you guys think of Bob Stoops? You, you don't like the idea? You, Jesse, you're talking nostalgia. This is the nostalgia tour with Bob Stoops, right? Yeah, I guess uh, that's one name that totally slipped my mind. Uh, I'd probably, now I'm thinking about it, I'd probably rather do that than, than Charlie Strong. I think a lot of options are better than Charlie Strong right now. My only <laughs> issue with Bob Stoops is that at his age, this is kind of, you know, like a farewell tour type job. Uh, mm -hmm. I'd rather, you know, the candidate that I'm going to mention that is my go-to choice, um, is a guy that's going to, that could be around 10, 15, 20 years, Bob Stoops. If you get him for four, if you get him for a full cycle, a full four years, uh, that would be almost magic. Um, I highly doubt that's going to happen. Um, anyway, my, my, the guy I would think is Lane Kiffin 
And I know that that's going to just polarize a part of the fan base that can't stand the guy for the antics that he did specifically when he was at Tennessee and he called out the university of Florida uh, for some BS sanctions or whatever. You know what? Here's the thing. And here's why he has matured so much. He's still the fun guy, but he's also doing it in a much more mature way. He's not attacking other programs or anything. He's calling his own program out more than anything. And uh, I think he's ready for this type of job. And I fear that if he doesn't end up at Florida, he's going to end up at LSU. And if we have to see him every year wearing that orange, that, that yellow and purple, uh, we're, we're going to hate that because this guy, this guy, and this is where, this is where I'm going to really piss a lot of people off. Yeah. Not me. This guy Woo-hoo. is Steve Spurrier 20 years later. <laughs> he has the swag. He has the look. He has everything that, when when you saw Steve Spurrier coaching and roaming the sidelines, that's what Lane Kiffin is right now. He's that polarizing figure. He likes to recruit. He likes to get out there and he gets stuff done. Uh, he probably, you know, he doesn't have the winning culture that you, you would hope and want from a, a new coach uh, at, at a school like Florida, but neither did I'll, Steve Spurrier. <laughs> I'll tell you, man, if, if Lane Kiffin comes to Florida, Florida's odds of getting Archie Manning goes from about 1% to 3%. So I mean I, I'm still not holding my breath on that one, but he no, has I know, but liked, it's, it's like he has liked a lot of uh, Anthony Richardson's post on you know Twitter and Instagram or whatever. So you're, if you're a quarterback, you want Lane Kiffin to go wherever you are. Yeah, um, no, I... <laughs> if I could throw one last offensive name at you um, from the Thanos style staff that Nick Saban's assembled, I know that I had very very critical things to say about his NFL tenure. Uh, Bill O'Brien from Bama. Do you, what's the rating there? I mean, there was a lot in that, that the way that it ended in Houston, I will say he was great at Penn state. I, I'm mm-hmm. you know, anybody that knows me knows I'm a huge Penn state guy. Um, you know what he did in, in getting those players to overcome everything that happened right before that. Um, it was incredible. It was the, the coaching job of a lifetime. I mean, that was something that, that, I don't know that many coaches could have replicated. He said, um, he said in interviews, he was trying to get fired in Houston. Well, I mean, he took the hard way out. I guess <laughs> you could have resigned, you know, <laughs> you mm-hmm. that's true. But I mean, he like looking, looking at it now. And I mean, I don't have a super high opinion of David Culley, but it looks like he kind of jumped out of a sinking boat. Um, I, whether, I he, of... whether he sprung a leak in that boat, you can kind of protest either way, but I don't like, I don't know. I just, I think that like, I don't really love, I was, I was very quick to dunk on him all the time when he was in Houston, but I mean, Bama's done. He's offensive coordinator and quarterbacks and he's got the Heisman favorite right now. And last time, last time a guy did that with Nick Saban, it was Steve Sarkeesian. He got the big job on the market. Well, that's, you know, it's funny. I was just getting ready to say, he reminds me too much of Sarkeesian and why Sarkeesian. Yeah. He was very successful at Alabama, they're talking about dumping him after one year in Texas. <laughs> I also, I also think, I also think Texas is a really weird spot right now. I mean, granted, I say Florida's this, in a weird spot right no, now. No, <laughs> I agree. Um, I agree. Uh, granted, all of this goes out the window with that Kansas loss. Um, I think that Texas is a football program that the administration and the coaches are kind of on different pages right now, and I don't know if that's something that really gets fixed. I mean, I. Again, this Texas team, like they are a game. If the game against Oklahoma is three minutes shorter, they might be in a position to be like, 
top 10 in the country right now. I think that loss really kind of spiraled them a little bit. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm pro Steve Sarkeesian. I think I'm pretty neutral on him. Um, I think Texas fans have really, really bizarre expectations, not even like overly high ones, just really weird ones. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't like, I'm not saying I would hire Bill O'Brien. I just don't think it would be a surprise if that like Florida is a coaching vacancy and like, he's one of the guys that gets flown to Gainesville. Oh, I absolutely think he should get interviewed. And you know, you, whoever the AD is, that's going to be making this decision is going to do their due diligence. And Bill O'Brien's guy who deserves that interview, he deserves it just off of what happened at Penn state. I mean, I don't, mm-hmm. you know, whatever happened in the NFL, first off, he was very successful for a while. <laughs> um, you know, overnight he didn't become a moron. So, no. you know, we'll say whatever you want, but guys, I've, I've got an idea that, that floats around and I just want to see what you guys think. And uh, if, if it were to happen, we can, uh, if, if the events leading up to it were necessary to happen, did uh, maybe we could start some kind of rally to make it happen. So here's an idea. If Florida loses to Missouri, which we all say is no, no less than a 50, 50, you know, toss up game, right? I would bet on Missouri. I would probably as well. Like straight up, Florida's ten point favorites, which shocks me. Yeah, uh, well, that's a that seems like easy money, which scares me a little bit. But uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. so here's my idea. I think obviously, I think uh, uh, Scott Strickland needs to go based on some of the reports that are out there. So here's my idea. Let's bring in Jeremy Foley as the interim AD. <laughs> hold on, hold on, we're getting there. Jeremy gets to fire Dan Mullen and says, "Hey." Spurrier, you're in the building. Come be the head coach for one game, the Florida State game of all games. <laughs> and then Spurrier calls his buddy because there's a coaching vacancy. <laughs> and so because there's a vacancy on the coaching staff and says, hey, Bob Stoops, come be the DC for a game. Let's just call it the nostalgia night. <laughs> there, this is the craziest thing you've ever suggested. But you and, like it, don't you? <laughs> I mean, I didn't. I wasn't. I didn't really watch the teams back then, so I have no. I have. I think it would be the. I think Twitter would burn. That's that's my that's my only take on that. I think Twitter would burn down. <laughs> How could you not. go if 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 you're gonna fire Dan Mullen in the season? And, and look, the odds are obviously very unlikely, especially with just one game left. How cool would it be for the fan base? to have one more game with Steve Spurrier because Steve Spurrier left on a whim. Nobody knew he was leaving when he left. The fans never really got to say that goodbye with him being the head coach on the field. You've got the superior talent over that Florida state team. If, if they're playing for a coach, why not Steve Spurrier? I'm telling you, I'm look, the Foley thing, highly unlikely because none of us think the, the AD is going anywhere. And the Bob Stoops thing, while a cool thought, it's probably not going to happen either. But the Spurrier thing, I think, could happen if the dominoes fell in the right place. Who else would you want to be the interim head coach? I don't know that there's anybody on this Florida coaching staff that you look at as and say that could be an interim head coach. No. And that's why Spurrier, Spurrier just coached the uh, AAF whatever I'm sure Jesse knows the answer to the Orlando. Orlando Apollos, baby. Apollos. That's, I was trying to say Arsenal, and I was like, that's Take not right. Game. God. Take aim. Thunk. <laughs> I'm just saying, how cool of an idea. We need to get that circulating if Florida loses this game. Why not? 
I'll let you do the. I'll let you do that, Brian. I'll let All you right, take but you care. You guys of have to retweet this. No, <laughs> I'll no. it's going to say specifically at Ryan. <laughs> Ryan says, "I'm no. going to comment. I've never seen this man before in my life." <laughs> but yeah, right. no, just looking into that Bill O'Brien thing, though. I mean, yeah, again, like if you want a guy that can take over a program that's in disarray, like oh. oh, oh. He's, he's going to think this is a cakewalk compared to what he walked into at Penn State. <laughs> it's very possible. But we've already got names on our jerseys, so I, you know, he's going to have to change some things up. <laughs> That's true. So, all right. Well, guys, I, I think that was a fun episode. I think we got everything out. Uh, you know, we didn't get to vent a whole lot, but I think that's fine. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think we have the capacity to vent. You know, at this, point, at this point, I think we just have to find it comical, sit back, relax, and enjoy it, right? <laughs> 100%. I agree with you. So, uh, you know, hopefully we get a nice coaching, uh, you know, coaching change to discuss and, uh, that'll keep us going strong for a while, I think. So, <laughs> Oh yeah, we'll, we'll have, we'll have, we'll have content. Definitely. All right. Um, guys go ahead and, you know, we don't always do this, but I do want to give you guys a chance. Um, just Jesse, let people know uh, where they can find you on social media. Yeah. Uh, so I'm mainly on Twitter. Uh, my at is Jesse rich three, five, two, um and then um you find me on instagram it's pretty much my full name jesse richardson uh three five two as well so yeah that's where you can find me and i guess you can find me on facebook if you want (laughs) and uh ryan go ahead and where can people find you uh you can find me on facebook if you want i might take a month to get that friend request back to you um because i'm never on that app uh but in terms of uh, Twitter, uh, which is my primary platform that I use, which says a lot about me as a person. Um, uh, first of all, the people that I work with, you can find it the alligator and alligator sports uh, on Twitter um, and um, uh, every platform. I'm pretty sure. I think the alligator has an underscore after it in Instagram for the news account, um, which every single person involved with that project needs uh, deserves a follow and deserves your attention for the work they do. And then for myself, uh, my Twitter is Ryan underscore D Haley. Cool. And you guys can find me at Chomp Talk Brian. Uh, it sounds just like it's spelled amazingly. Uh, that's that's and, bizarre. Uh, yeah, right. As, you know, I tried to get, you know, Chomp Talk Ryan, but he didn't like how that sounded and he thought the alligator would be confused. So. No. <laughs> Uh, But yeah, no, hey guys, thanks again for another good episode. And uh, so yeah, for Jesse Richardson, for Ryan Haley, I'm Brian Fox. See y'all next week. Welcome in, buddy. See you.